only thing I know is that I entered a state, the state of mind that a crack climber wants to enter. First, it's painful, and then a little scary. And then all of a sudden, all that matters is the try, the moment. The line is so fine between climbing and failing. You're right there, just trying, trying to hang on. Soon enough, as I battled this crack with all my heart, I was clipping the anchors. Then a feeling that I've maybe never felt before and likely won't ever again washed over me. It was not me, it was not me, I said at the anchors. It was surreal, a complete transcendence. It was pretty much the best feeling ever. Perhaps I felt my ego detach, while at the same time realizing I climbed the most sustained crack I'd ever tried. Welcome to the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the climbing zine. I am Luke Mihal, and this is episode 10. If you're just tuning in, um, this second season, the first 12 episodes all tell a cohesive story from the desert, my book. So if you're just popping in, um, head back to episode one. If you're looking for more content, we've got 30 episodes in season one as well. The best way to support this podcast is to pick something up from us, a book, a zine, some merch, some stickers. You can get a little discount at the uh, link in the show notes. This episode's got a little bit of everything. It's got love. It's got sending your proj. It's got politics. One central theme to this book is my advocation for Bears Ears National Monument. Still profoundly believe in that. The more I, I learn about it and more of the involvement that I learn of from the Bears Ears Intertribal Council, the importance of that land as sacred to those tribes, um, the more I feel that it was wrong to rescind it. And climbing is a part of it too, but I think the most important thing um, is protecting sacred Native American lands and learning from the tribes who cared for all these lands that everyone lives on now in the United States. And it's a barrier, too, to write about this stuff because automatically you will exclude some people. But you know what? This is America. We have the First Amendment for a reason. We all get to state our opinions and we all get to participate in the process. And this is my way of proclaiming my love in a story. And if we have learned anything over these last few years, especially this last year, is people get caught up in story. They don't get caught up in fact. There's a lot of facts and a lot of science of why land should be protected and a lot of facts and science about things we need to do on our planet to change things. Um, but stories is really, I think, where human beings get locked in. And with that said, let's get into episode 10. Later that season, I had the best single pitch moment of my life. I write single pitch because it is my feeling that the best of climbs are the ones that stretch you farthest into the sky. The multi-pitch and multi-day climbs. Sure, you have the lowest moments on those climbs, but the highest too, and you share it with someone, because the best things in life are always better when shared. It was the shoulder season, when spring is turning to summer, and the crowds have moved on. 
But with the right weather and a few clouds rolling in, there's this final possibility for perfection. I am the worst at training for climbing. My body and mind know I should do it, but I simply rarely, if ever, do. I take comfort in knowing that some of the best climbers in the world don't train either, but I also know that I am an average climber and could benefit from training. Many times I wish I had the discipline that Tom, Randall, and Pete Whitaker do. There's a natural sort of training that happens from obsession, though, and I think it mimics some sophisticated training methods. I have read about training, even though I rarely apply it. Down to the basics, though, there's a possibility to peak with every training cycle and season. For three months, I threw myself at the cracks of Indian Creek, and now as the desert was greening, blooming, and warming, I was in tip-top shape, even if I wasn't fully aware of it. I guess love was on my mind more than fitness, and Annie happened to be back in the desert again. I convinced myself I was in love with her, and perhaps I was. My heart was aflutter when I was around her, and I wanted nothing more than to be with her in the desert. The king made my heart aflutter too, and my experience on it intertwined with Annie. She'd belayed me on it a few months ago as our crazy first date trip drew to a close. It gave me a massive goby. I even wrote a piece about that goby. I looked at my hand. The goby that was once an open cut, now nearly a completely healed wound. Of course, it was from Indian Creek, world-famous home of the goby. Out there, it was a game-changer. No more .75 finger stacks on the project. But... Almost a week removed, I had a sort of sentimentality for it. The Gobi was a physical reminder of two extremely peaceful days in the midst of a two-week climbing trip. Annie says all my writing is about climbing and women, and everything circles back to that. I never really realized it until she said it, and then it was clear as day. These last 17 years that I've been a climber have not just been about those two things, though. They have been a spiritual journey. Don't worry. I'm not going to get all Deepak Chopper on your ass. It's just the truth. The outdoors unlock keys to seeing my true self. And I'm still looking into that mirror. The journey towards meeting your true self is often described as an inner journey. And there's a lot of truth to it. But in the world of climbing, you really can't do anything on your own. Every success is built within the community. Someone, Annie, had to nudge me back on the trail towards the real me. That goby, I knew exactly where it came from, right at the top of my latest Indian Creek project. I was only on top rope, but I was making some horrific grunting noises, screaming, ah, oh, ah, oh. You know, those weird noises that come from Indian Creek that are kind of like sex noises, primal, and reflecting a profound effort of the essence of climbing, that trying hard thing. Trying hard is the best. So I tried hard and screamed, and Annie was the only one to hear. We were in a remote part of Indian Creek. Not rare, not that hard to get to, just an isolated spot where everything you do is work, so not many people go back there. Climbing becomes blue collar when you're putting up new routes in remote corners, but you're rewarded with a long forgotten silence and solitude that most don't get in the modern creek experience. That goby, it's so close to healed now, and it will be fully healed when I get back out to Indian Creek next weekend. It was annoying when it happened, but as the wound closes up, there's a memory in there that I don't want to let go of. The memory of those two days with her, alone in the desert. 
Like my heart, the Gobi needs to heal. I think I'll put some salve on it now. Time marches forward, and we are all destined to be dust here in just a few years. Everything good must end. Hanging on only provides pain. It's funny, those words, how distant they seem now. As if they were someone else's. As if I didn't even live that. It wasn't even that long ago. In that situation with Annie, I had so much emotional baggage that I asked her to carry. But with the king, I have simple yet deep feelings. And that climb meant so much to me. Where was I? Well, I'd just given it one burn earlier in the day, before the sun came around the bend. And with that exposure, brought 85 degree temperatures, pretty much ensuring that I wouldn't send the root that season if I didn't fire it that go. I didn't. I took a fall well below the crux, nearly 100 feet into the root. Annie was belaying me. She was great, always sending out genuine stoke. And if she was faking it, well, I didn't care. But I knew she wasn't. In my mind, very little else on God's green earth can compare to a spring day with cloud cover. The heat of the desert in late spring is defeating. My skin rarely burns, but my brain seems to. Once I overheat, any optimal performance is gone. This episode is sponsored by Osprey. A longtime sponsor of The Climbing Zine, Osprey and The Zine share the same backyard. Located just down the road from Durango and Cortez, Osprey makes innovative, high-performance gear that reflects a love of adventure and devotion to the outdoors. High-quality packs for any adventure and season. We are proud to share a home with Osprey in the Four Corners region of Southwest Colorado. And to find out more, visit osprey.com. This episode is also sponsored by Black Diamond, another longtime sponsor of The Climbing Zine. Black Diamond is all about climbing, skiing in the mountains. And, of course, the desert. Black Diamond not only has the hard goods you need for climbing, but also the apparel to go along with it. The forged denim jeans are perfect for desert climbing and exploring. And the Alpenglow hoodie layers are ideal for protecting you from the sun. To find out more, visit blackdiamondequipment.com. So when that sun was coming around the bend, about to turn the king into a furnace, and all the clouds rolled in, it was a second chance in redemption. We all went into the cave by purple haze and cooled off. Seven or so of us ate cheese and crackers and cracked jokes. A couple hours later, I felt my pump wear off, and I knew I had one last go for the project, and then it would have to begin anew for the next season. I had limited time to use this fitness I'd built in Indian Creek. Fitness that would practically be useless for my sport climbing projects back home. So many types of fitness in this climbing world are only specific for certain areas. Indian Creek is singular. Part of me hates that because I feel I wasted time once it's sport climbing season. But the other part of me appreciates its ephemeral quality. After all, climbing is this made-up thing that feels so special, but is also, at the same time, so completely useless. For this go, I had my ultimate best belayer in my pocket, Tim. As climbing partners, we're often on different levels. 
We joke that we're seasonal friends. In the winter, it's all about ice for Tim, while I avoid cold situations as much as possible. In the creek, Tim seems content all the time, while I'm only really content once I've trashed myself to the fullest on the cracks. Tim always sees the little things, the trail that needs a rock here or there, and he'll spend time to make a small minor thing that's wrong, right? I always need to have the final goal, the big picture in my mind, always working towards it. But through our friendship over the years, I've learned more about caring for the desert from him than anyone else. And I've put work in helping him with various trail projects. And we've replaced our fair share of anchors together too. You can thank Tim for those nice gluing bolts on Scarface, an anchor that you used to be able to wiggle out one of the bolts with your hand. No one ever mentioned that in their Insta Spraybook post because no one ever noticed. Oh, the things we climbers trust our lives upon. When I tie in and Tim's on the other end, I always know I'll have the best belay possible. It's more than that, he just seems to be my good luck charm. I've sent many of my hardest first ascents with Tim as my belayer. Perhaps there's just so much trust and history between us, and it lives on through the rope. So I tied in with that figure eight knot of infinity, and I had that feeling of calm mixed with nerves, going into a battle with the crack, but in reality, only with myself. It was the type of sport I was made for, competition with oneself. The initial section of face climbing nearly spit me off. 20 feet up, there's a thin mantle where you move your feet damn near your knees and reach up for a quarter-sized edge. The bolt below will keep you off the ground, but there's a scary possibility of a whipper. I mantled efficiently, and then I was standing on top of that little edge, clipping the next bolt. The first of four cruxy sections had been navigated. After more face climbing, 50 feet up, I looked down to a string of six clip bolts with damn near 90 feet of finger and finger-stapped jams ahead of me. The position was unique. I know not of another pitch in the creek that the king can be compared to. To try to give a move-by-move description would be impossible. The only thing I know is that I entered a state, the state of mind that a crack climber wants to enter. First it's painful, and then a little scary, and then all of a sudden, all that matters is the try, the moment. The line is so fine between climbing and failing. You're right there, just trying trying to hang on. Soon enough, as I'd battled this crack with all my heart, I was clipping the anchors. Then, a feeling that I've maybe never felt before, and likely won't ever again, washed over me. It was not me. It was not me, I said at the anchors. It was surreal. A complete transcendence that was pretty much the best feeling ever, perhaps because I felt my ego detach, while at the same time realizing I'd climbed the most sustained crack I'd ever tried. And then we left for the summer. All climbers do. Sure, some folks might pop back in for a morning or evening pitch or two, but the desert goes back to the spiders, scorpion snakes, lightning storms, and flash floods for the summer. Summertime and the living ain't so easy there. My summertime climbing escapades aren't near as interesting as the ones in the desert, just mostly clipping bolts and bouldering. Somehow now, the desert would always remain in the recesses of my mind. That project I'd get to the next season, that crack we scoped that needed to get anchors on, or sometimes just that meditation and the erasing of anything from the past or present. 
the ease of foot and sand or hands and cracks. This summer was the summer Trump began to rise to the presidency, and there's some nausea that comes along with the thinking of that. The reality that the civility of Obama was going to give way to another human who just wasn't my kind of guy, to put it lightly. But that's still down the road, and we didn't know what was going to happen just yet. The creation of Bears Ears National Monument was something that seemed more inevitable in the summer of 2016. It seems like now it's one of those things that you're on one side or the other, because after all, I'm writing this book in the Trump years, and no one is getting along or in the spirit of compromise. At least, not on the internet. In my circle, there's no debate about Bears Ears. We all just assume it's for the best for climbers. And in my heart, I do really believe that. The present is getting in the way because I'm trying to write about 2016, those glory days that weren't, really. Ignorance is bliss. However, it seems like this Bears Ears National Monument would be a good thing. Obama was getting his Teddy Roosevelt on, preserving an important environment using Roosevelt's Antiquities Act. His team was working with the Bears Ears Inter-Tribal Council, and was said and done, climbing ended up being included in the proclamation, the first time that ever happened for a national monument. Thinking of that time when we were moving on from the Obama era to the Trump era feels like loss. Reminds me that I probably failed in my vision of what college me expected from me. It also reminds me of one of the greatest eras in my climbing life. In America, so much is possible. And given my positioning in the world, I had reason to dream. The older I got, though, the more I realized my impact would be small. But I could create change, and I could inspire. That was my mission, the reason I was here. There was a sense of relief in my smallness, of the fleeting existence that we call life. I needed to see the fruits of my labor. Climbing first ascents was perfect for that. So was writing books. But where was the fruit of my desire for lifelong companionship? I was reaching 40 years old and never had a relationship longer than four months. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose, right? The day after I sent the king, I zipped up to Telluride for mountain film for a book event and then zipped right back to the creek. I was in love with Annie, and she was there. That night, I snuck her a poem before we went to bed in separate tents. We climbed for a day there in the creek and then made plans to meet up in Castle Valley. I'd wanted to climb all the towers there in a day, and Annie said she was down for a recon mission. She bailed at the last minute. I was already there, and the text sent my heart into my stomach. She was heading back to California. So with the parting image of Castle Valley Towers in my rear view, the spring was behind us and summer was ahead. This is a book about the desert, and for the summer, like most summers, I did not visit. My unrequited crush finally came crashing down when Annie sent me a text late that summer that she'd started dating someone. I got mad at her for delivering the message in such a way. Why couldn't you call me and tell me that? A shame spiral ensued. I made up for those feelings with short flings with women I probably shouldn't have been with. Harmless flings, though. But it does amaze me how much the human spirit will look for something in someone that they don't know well. Oh, the heart wants what the heart wants, and so does the penis. Summer used to be the ultimate when we were kids, but now I find the greatest joys in the spring and fall. 
So when creek season rolled back around, there I was, back home in the desert. It's crazy to think that this place that seemed like such a wasteland of sorts was being thought of at the highest levels of government. I won't bother glorifying Obama too much here. After all, he's a politician. But to me, he got it. The people who wanted to see this land protected reached out, and they got what would later become Bears Ears National Monument. In my years of Plateau, I've been ignorant of the gems that were here. But again, perhaps I just didn't have the right eyes, ears, or heart yet. There was a moment, though, not long ago, where I feel like I got something, or at least felt something. Dave and I had climbed some 400 feet, repeating a first ascent that had helped establish a year prior. A climb that stitched together some perfect hand cracks with some other delicate cracks and pillars. It was probably as close as we'd come to painting a masterpiece, though in reality, it was all already there. We just dusted it off. This climb took us to the top of a magnificent butte, a place so high and remote, we'd wondered if we were the first people to stand there, to search around this island in the sky. The entirety of Indian Creek was below us as we marveled at our surroundings. As I looked to the dirt, I noticed a piece of pottery. Could it be? It couldn't be. I looked closer, black and white stripes. I looked around to find more and quickly did. This place that moments ago seemed so distant and foreign, this was a place where humans had stood a thousand years ago and broke pottery as an offering to the gods. A tingle went through my entire body as Dave and I realized what we were looking at. Still to this day, I haven't discovered the route that these ancestral Puebloans took to reach this point. It was improbable and seemingly unreachable. It was the magic of the desert. Months later, while speaking to an elder Native American man, I told him about my experience, and he suggested maybe next time I go back to leave some sort of offering of tobacco for the spirits, something that would biodegrade. I told him I never touched tobacco, but what about cannabis? Sure, he said, that would be fine too. After this particular climb, which I'm being vague about, and its location on purpose, I've come across more pottery and ruins. I never take anything and always take precautions to leave it as it was, marveling in a society that functioned here in a harmony that is a higher level than we are existing at now. And most of all, even above protecting the climbing, that is why Bears Ears National Monument is important. I was traveling home to Colorado after the holiday season when I got the news Obama had used the power of the Antiquities Act to create Bears Ears National Monument. That man had a way of putting my heart at ease, and he made me believe in the possibilities of America. We all knew what kind of storm was coming with Trump, and I felt this moment when Obama protected this area would be the last of the things I'd be happy about from the federal government for a while. It was a peaceful feeling, a victory for protecting sacred land, an agreement between the tribes and the recreationalists. But it wouldn't last. Or would it? That was episode 10 of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast, season 2. Reading those words after... So much that's gone on with Bears Ears National Monument and so many 
administration changes. Very happy with the way things are looking now with the new Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, who is actually a descendant of the ancestral Puebloan. She is a Pueblo woman from New Mexico and really hoping that they can make this thing happen and protect this landscape after the previous administration, the Trump administration, did their best to sell off our public lands to extraction to not even the highest bidder. But we shall see how that unfolds. I am unequivocally supportive of the Bears Ears National Monument and really hope to see that land be protected and the the original boundaries would be restored. Music from this episode comes from Devin Dabney. Really been enjoying how that's changed the sound of this podcast and you can look Devin up for some of his music as well. He's on Spotify. I think he's on Bandcamp and some other platforms. Deuce is Hip Hop is his handle and you can find him on the gram um, that way as well. Chad Rich is our digital editor and producer. Welcome back to Colorado, Chad. It's good to have you back after a few years in the Midwest. I'm sure it was good for you going to grad school and uh, we're stoked to have you back in Colorado. If you really enjoyed this and you want to support it, please take a look at our store and um, you can find that link in your show notes. You can also find the link in our bio and our Instagram page, The Climbing Zine on the gram. From beautiful Durango, Colorado, signing off. We'll see you in the next episode.